Welcome to The Tailored Quill. I'm Taylor Wilkins, and I hope you enjoy today's perspective. Welcome back to the show, everybody. This episode is my conversation with Eamon Coyne, my dear friend who started off his career serving in the U.S. Navy and then transitioned into business, specifically in the fitness and wellness industry. Eamon is the co-founder and owner of a wildly successful CrossFit gym in Ithaca, New York called CrossFit Palace. He's also the creator of the Masters Fitness Collective, which is an annual competition series for people 30 years and older, the logistics and curation of which have been so successful that CrossFit HQ has actually consulted with Eamon on several of their programs and events too. At the moment, Eamon is focused on his own consulting firm, which is called Collective Health and Wellness, in which he offers comprehensive wellness programs for corporations and their employees, especially these days. That's so important. We have so many employees who are burning out and so many companies who are trying different wellness things and not knowing what to do to support them. So Eamon is reverting his focus to that, is doing really well with that. So I'm so excited that he's here today. We talk not only about his varied career um, and his attitudes and decisions that he's made toward those points in his career, but we also talk about his insecurities and vulnerability, um, not only as a business owner, but just as a human being, even though he comes across as the most confident person I've ever met. uh, He's very open and transparent about his insecurities and how he deals with them on a daily basis. And then we finish it off with this amazing discussion about legacy and impact, which is particularly personal to Eamon, especially now as a father of two. So Eamon's a dear friend of mine. We had a wonderful conversation, and I can't wait for you to hear this conversation in this episode with Eamon Coyne. The funny thing, Eamon, even though you and I met in the CrossFit gym at some point, I don't remember the very first day I met you. However, there I do distinctly remember when, whenever I first met you or saw you, I know you were like guest coaching or something, or you were visiting. And I was like, who the hell is this guy? Because not only are you a physical specimen yourself, but you carry yourself with so much confidence and self-assurance that it just, you know, it's just emanating from you. And you're a super nice guy to boot. So the fact that I took a class, I think it was taking a class that you happened to be guest coaching and you were a phenomenal coach. You are so self-assured and you're so mature. You're so professional and you're so kind and so funny. It's like, who, like who, the, who the hell is this guy? This guy's amazing. So I do distinctly remember that that was the impression that I had of you, even though I can't remember the moment where I actually shook your hand. Um, so thank you so much for being here. Uh, we will get back around to the uh, the confidence piece because uh, that's just something that defines you in my mind. But at the moment, real briefly, so that we don't have to do it again, do you mind telling the listeners what you're doing right now with your collective health and wellness consulting company yeah. and where people can find you or what you want them to engage with? Yeah, so um, collective health and wellness is a combination of um, basically four tenants, um, that are to me are probably the most important aspects of the whole person as it relates to personal wellness. Um, you know, it's very easy for, for 
companies to focus primarily on movement or steps or whatever because it's measurable repeatable and uh and you can see progress very easily and nutrition because once again it's measurable repeatable and you can see the the progress with the scale moving right or with putting on weight losing weight um you know whatever the goal may be but i think two of the most important aspects that people miss out on is that uh the human factor that's involved in that uh and the human factor to me is um the sleep and this the quality of people's sleep um we, we can go down a whole rabbit hole of why i feel sleep is important but the, the basic gist of it is, is that every metabolic process that happens in your body um, is almost like turbocharged as you rest. Um, and that goes all the way from your hormone production and, and distribution um, to, you know, ridding the body and the brain of waste. We're talking about white and gray matter in the brain and, and how when you're sleeping, it basically like washes over your brain in order to kind of like clear out some of that, that mess. And, you know, if you have brain fog or anything like that, which I think I would, I would venture a guess that like 70 people in the world have some form of brain fog that they're dealing with. Um, it, All the it, time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. It reduces stress levels. Uh, you know, getting your hormones in balance is such an important aspect of all the other tenants. Uh, and then the, the last piece is uh, the mental health aspect or the mental resilience is what I like to call it. Um, because mental health has this like negative connotation of like, Hey, I need to go see a therapist, which is totally fine. I've been seeing a therapist since I was probably 10 years old and I'm 41. Um, you know, and, and it's for some people, it's not for other people. And that's totally fine. It's just a good way for me to kind of like download with somebody that's a, uh, a, a non-judgmental person, but that will call me on my shit if I'm, if I'm doing something wrong. Can I curse? I'm sorry. Please do. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that gets to my Navy days, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I want, I want my guests to, to feel comfortable being themselves. So by all okay, means. Great. Um, you know, and it, what I like to do with those aspects is kind of tie them all together and, you know, movement, nutrition, sleep, and mental resilience kind of create this basket that I like to think of um, kind of weaving themselves together because they're all intertwined to create that safety net of health and wellness for the whole person, right? Um, mm -hmm. It's very easy for, we see it in CrossFit all the time. It's very easy for us to say, hey, the prescription is this and the workout is this and the stimulus we're looking for is this, mm -hmm. right? Out of those three things, prescription, workout, stimulus, the, the thing that we need to focus most on is the stimulus because that's different for every person. We are not robots. We are not um we're not the same we're different we have different experiences we have different um you know our 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 makeup is different our dna is different and you can't just write the same prescription for every single person every single time um it, it doesn't it you might see a little progress but it'll it'll plateau at some point um so that's kind of the gist of of the, the long gist of, of collective health and wellness. Um, you know, we have a website. Um, it's uh, collectivehealthandwellness.com and uh, an Instagram handle, which is at collectivehw. 
Uh, and the easiest way to contact me there is amen at collectivehealthandwellness.com. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. A super short website URL. That's great. Yeah. It might be, <laughs> it might be collectivehw.com. I think that's what it is. Well, I'll find it and put it in the show notes. <laughs> you, can, you can tell how often I go onto my website. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you're the, even though you're, you've been involved in so many entrepreneurial things, you're, you're also so much an artist and you're actually like providing <laughs> the service. So like, yeah. yeah, it makes sense. You don't want to spend time in the techie stuff. Yeah. And so briefly on that, because I know that your clientele for collective health and wellness is, or like your target audience are employees of corporations, staff teams, just, or just employees in general. And so because you have so much experience in gyms with people who are athletes or people who are obviously going to a gym to get healthier, fitter, stronger, follow your prescriptions in the CrossFit realm, why are you now focusing on corporation employees? Because the 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 people that are going to go to gyms gyms already have them right i don't need to worry about recruiting somebody i don't need to worry about talking to somebody about the basics and and how to like start into that um that they're already there they've already decided and made a choice to walk through the door so the convincing is a lot less mm-hmm. um the education they typically come in with some form of education as it relates to health and wellness um, so it's, it's not like, I'm. I don't have to, I have to win their business, but I don't have to explain to them why it's important. Right. <laughs> sure. When it comes to, yeah, when it comes to, um, people in the corporate world, you know, we have a, we have a lot of, um, I, I, I don't, I don't know how else to explain it. We have a lot of metabolic problems within this country, right? We yeah. are the, uh, we're in the top 10 least healthiest countries in the world. And we have probably the highest GDP in the world, right? The uh, average income of somebody living in India is 34,000, or pardon me, um, the, the, the upper class of India is $34,000, right? What's the poverty line in the United States? $36,000 right? So, and like, you know, obviously things in the country are, we, we charge more and, you know, our economic growth depends on a lot of that stuff. But the, the, what I'm trying to get at is that we have, we have access to all the right things, but for some reason, people aren't taking advantage of it, right? Whether it's hard, whether it's, um, you know, they, they feel like they need to get fit before they start, which is always a I'm always like blown away by that statement. I need to go to the gym before I start. It's like, what? Um, you know, whether they feel like they don't have enough time, you know, there's a, there's a lot of factors that come into play. But to me, that 98% of people that aren't regular participants in some kind of fitness regime that are surrounded by that kind of stuff, that's a, that's a, that's a huge market. And it, it's not a, it's not a, financial market to me it's a huge uh human um value market right so improving people's lives I, like this this might sound um this might sound like i'm i'm kind of full of myself or whatever but 
I don't care about money. Money doesn't matter to me, right? Money comes and goes. And I know it's very easy for me to say that. Um, you know, I got a, I got a house, I got two kids, I got a wife, I got, you know, I, I work my ass off and, and, you know, so whatever financial freedom is, is a nice thing, but money doesn't matter to me. What matters to me, and I know we'll get into this later, is is the impact that I leave and the memory that people have of me when I'm gone, because we're all going to go, right? Um, and I think that's way more important to me. Um, it's way more important to me what people say about me at my funeral than talk about how much money I made in my life, right? And so if I'm able to impact somebody's life in a positive way, nature that's the impact i want to have and the easiest way for me to do that is something like collective health and wellness where i can take all those aspects and educate people and provide them with support in order to make better decisions for themselves take their own life back and not not give it to somebody else or whatever to to lead it for them right mm. so i love that yeah, and we'll sorry, definitely tie back bit of a rant but <laughs> no 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 i didn't i didn't feel like it was a rant you still like buttoned it up beautifully or like tied it up beautifully so we'll definitely go back to the legacy piece for sure now related to this because i mean you i met you in the crossfit world and you started or at least your early part of your career was in the military for a time and so obviously or i should say this like the social concepts or like the social norm concept of military men or military personnel in general is that is of health and wellness of just being really healthy you need to be physically fit to be in the military and i know that's that's the common perception that's the common perception that like you know you think of boot camp like booty boot camp is like this new trendy thing now but boot camp comes from military so we automatically associate fitness levels with being in the military in, in some level and so so on some level, you had to be fit and healthy to be in the military. Let's be, let's lay that out. Yes. And then I knew you in the CrossFit world, and then you started business in the CrossFit world, and now you have this corporate wellness thing. And so for you personally, you could have a legacy or you could leave a powerful legacy and have an impact and make someone's life better in infinite kinds of ways. It doesn't need to be coaching your four tenets of wellness and health so why for you are you so motivated by health and wellness being the avenue that you have an impact on people yeah um i i think even every um philanthropic or every um you know endeavor that people take even if it is for other people there's an aspect of that that is that is pure selfishness right um and that's not necessarily a negative thing right like when you do something good for somebody um it makes you feel good and sometimes like chasing that high is important to people um and and to me that is important um that's the high that i get off of that stuff um you know seeing somebody accomplish a goal I, you know i just got a text message from one of the clients from collective health and wellness who i've been working on uh, working with for a while and uh she said you know um 
July of last year, she had a BMI of 49.6. She went into her doctor today and she has a BMI of 32, which, which for, for women, that's incredible. She's a, mm. she's a, a late forties woman who has reduced her BMI. You know, what is that? 17, almost 18%. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, hell yeah. Like, that's an awesome thing. And it makes me feel good. So, you know, I think there's a, there's a piece of it that is that aspect of, of chasing that high for myself. Um, you know, I, I focus a lot on mental resilience because of the, the challenges I've had in my life. Um, before I joined the military, I had, I had a lot of like, I, you know, I had a, a crazy upbringing. Um, I was a latchkey kid. Um, which I don't think is a term anymore, but, um, you know, I'd come home from school. My parents wouldn't be home yet. Um, I was, I had a brother and sister, you know, my brother wasn't around much. He was, uh, he had some, uh, learning difficulties. So he, that's that's a different story, but, um, my sister was there and we kind of had to fend for ourselves. Right. Um, I spent a lot of time outside as a kid. Um, I played sports growing up. Um, it was like, you know, baseball and, and eventually ice hockey, um, which I played for a very long time. Um, so I, I've always had this aspect of, of health, but from the, the mental health side of things, you know, my experience in the military, you know, I, I served in two combat zones uh, during some pretty heavy fighting uh, in both Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, you know, the mental resilience part is something that I've had to, to address, um, pretty wholeheartedly. Um, and for me, exercise has provided this outlet, um, the endorphin release, the, the structure that's surrounded by it, the, um, the feeling good about yourself and happy with like how you look, uh, Mm. and, and like, you know, you talk about confidence, like that's a huge confidence booster, right? Um, so that, that's the kind of the selfish part of why. Um, and I just, I just obsessed over it. I got so deep into it and my thought process on a lot of this stuff changes constantly as it should. Um, you know, at first it was like, I'm looking at different training regimens and I'm trying to see what works best. And I'm trying things on myself, try trial and error kind of stuff. And, you know, I mentioned it earlier, like now I dig a lot into like the hormonal aspect and, and making sure your hormones are balanced because they really do keep things in check. Um, so I think that's why I, I feel it's important to educate people on the benefits of health and wellness, but not just at the surface level to, to really get granular with it. Um, I think it's super important. So, yeah. Well, and that seems to relate to what you were saying before about you know, people who are coming into gyms, they don't really need the explanation as to why it's important to go into a gym. There's, you know, you'll, you'll teach them kind of like how we're going to do it, blah, blah, blah. But what you're, it's almost like what you're talking about is your new target audience of these corporate employees, but also just kind of people in general that you might have the opportunity to educate that's all the granularity you're talking about is what adds is what explains the why like that's kind of like filling in that gap 
of why it's important to focus on your health and wellness. Because we all know it's important intellectually, but once it gets really real, like once you tell me, hey, Taylor, your hormones are all messed up because of like how shitty your sleep schedule is, then it's like, oh gosh, you know, then there's the emotion to it too. Yeah. I mean, that's a, but that once again, that's that basket we talk about. Everything is intertwined, right? Yeah. Because, and it comes with food, it comes with exercise, it comes with sleep. You know, there's this, this internal judging that we do. Um, that's like, it's very easy, especially in the world of social media these days, it's very easy for us to like, just look online and see somebody else who's posting their highlight reel of, you know, how healthy they eat, how much sleep they get, blah, 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 blah. But like, you know, that's such a small fraction of their life. Like, um, it's just, so then it creates like a little bit of like the self-judgment thing, like, oh, I need to sleep better. Oh, I need to eat better and blah, 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 without realizing that it's, it's a process and it's going to have its ups and downs. Like, you know, there's, there's time I, I wear a whoop, right. Keeps track of, and I wear it mostly for, for sleep tracking and it does a pretty good job. Um, but you know, it, it can create a little bit of judgment sometimes when I look at it and I'm in the red and I'm like, <laughs> you know, um, but it, 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 to me, um, it's important to recognize and, and, and pay homage to the, the human aspect of, of who we are as people. Right. Um, it's so easy to forget that, you know, we are fallible. We are all, capable of doing great things and we're also all capable of doing some not so great things and that's okay because that's the human condition right um so it's kind of my yeah. Yeah. yeah i like how you brought up the comparison piece or just the the self-judgment piece because we especially with social media these days it's so easy and conscious or unconsciously to judge ourselves via comparison to who we see on instagram even though, yeah, intellectually, we know that bikini model has not been like, has not been that happy <laughs> every single day, or that guy in the gym didn't get such perfect sleep every night the past week or whatever. But so in terms of comparison and that self-judgment, you were saying, I mean, a lot of that can happen, especially in the fitness world. And your description of how you found sports, how you found fitness, how you found just overall health, nutrition, wellness seemed like a very kind of singular avenue for you selfishly in a good way, selfishly, not only to survive when you were younger, but also now to thrive, to continue thriving as you get, as you get older. And so did you ever fall into the trap as you really got into fitness of comparing yourself to others or has it always been just like a very singular track mind of like, nope, this is for me. And then eventually you would coach others, but like your use of fitness, was it always just for you and you could keep that focus or did you find yourself stuck in the trap of comparing and judging? There's always, uh, there's even now, you know, we're right. We're in week three of the CrossFit open and I intentionally am not hitting the open hard this year. Um, because as a master's athlete, the open is kind of inconsequential. They take the top 10%. Um, and I could 
try to murder myself in these workouts over the course of three weeks and finish in the top 10 or top five. Um, but there's no payoff for me for that, if that makes sense. Um, but it's, it's still hard for me to look at the leaderboard and see them in 136th place, uh, <laughs> in the world when I was at the cross the games last year and I finished in 17th, you know, um, mm -hmm. but you know, so there is a, there's still that aspect, you know, I, I, like I was telling you earlier, I started playing hockey again and, um, my, I played hockey for a very long time. I played hockey for 25 years. Um, I played at a pretty high level. I played, um, I played at prep school in high school. I played um, uh, division one after I got out of the military at the age of 30, which is kind of unheard of. Um, you know, so I, I jumped back on the ice for the first time in 10 years uh, in January and my feet came back real quick, but my hands didn't. Right. And it's <laughs> sure. like people, people are passing me the puck and it's just like hitting my stick and just bouncing off. Right. I can't, can't receive a pass. I can't shoot. I can't do any of that stuff. And this is all stuff that used to be very easy for me. So, you know, there was that comparison of like, Hey, these other guys on my team are able to do all this stuff and I can't, um, you know, but it, it, it comes back for me. It came back. Um, when it comes to nutrition, I'm, it, it's a, it's a constant mental struggle for me because I fight with this aspect of like eating healthy um, and eating enough, right? Mm. Um, so my caloric intake is around 3,300 calories a day. Well, it's really hard to get 3,300 calories a day on sweet potatoes and broccoli. Um, <laughs> so sometimes I find myself eating a bowl of cereal at 10 o'clock at night. And that's okay. Right. Um, but giving yourself some grace, I think is the most important aspect of that. Um, and realizing that it's very easy to compare yourself to other people, but, um, they're not experiencing your journey. We all live, live together on this planet, but we all travel this planet alone. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. in, in, in certain aspects right um mm -hmm. so my experience can't be compared to somebody else's experience because nobody's me right yeah um you know there's a there's a really important um buddhist uh thought process on experience and all on um uh like, you know, the, the, the Buddhist religion focuses a lot on suffering, right? <laughs> um, and somebody's experience, like, you know, I said, I, I was in combat. I was in combat twice. Um, and that's probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do is uh, you're, you're in this constant state of, well, today could possibly be the day that I die. Um, eventually, you just get used to that and you just kind of live, live your life anyway. But um, you know, for some people, the hardest thing that they've ever had to do was, I don't know, um, have surgery, right? Hmm. They have a surgery and it, it kind of, and it's not my job to compare my combat experience with their experience of surgery hmm. from a, from a, the point of suffering that is the highest level of suffering that they've ever had. 
and combat is the highest level of suffering that I've ever had. And that what that's what needs to be looked at is that to the individual experience, those two things are equal. Doesn't matter who had it worse. It doesn't matter any of that stuff. Those two things are very equal because that is the highest level of suffering that they had. Mm -hmm. So it's unfair for me to say that I suffer more, that I have, I've had greater tragedy in my life. Right. Yeah. I, I don't think that's, I don't, I think people do that comparison way too often, way too often to, to like, woe is me things. And it's like, you know, I look at everything at this point in my life as uh, either a success or an experience, right? There's no failure. There's no such thing as failure. There is only uh, you win or you learn. That's it's very cliche to say that, but mm -hmm. if you look at everything in a negative aspect and you are constantly trying to have a worse experience, worse lifetime experience than other people um, through that, you know, that's, that, that's not a fulfilling life to me. It's like you're, that's the constant state of comparison, right? And it's mm -hmm. most like most evil state. So yeah, once again, another rant, but I think there was a good little nugget in there. Yeah. <laughs> there were numerous nuggets. Don't yeah. worry. Yeah. You know, what's profound about it though, is when you say so clearly and so uh, I should say so decisively too, that it's unfair for you to say that your suffering is more than someone else's suffering, even though those magnitudes and the context are totally different. You say that so decisively, almost like it's a logical truth. But I think what you're overlooking is how much humility is in that acknowledgement. Because there are so many people in the world who do get stuck in the comparison thing and find validation by saying, no, 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 woe is me. My suffering is so much worse than so many others. And that's where they get fuel, but that's arrogance. You know, that's like an entitlement as though they're deserving of that validation through putting other people down. So, so, so they're, they're, um, it's valid, right? Their, their experience is a completely valid experience. Mm-hmm but it's the comparison part of that validation that I think needs to like, people need to withdraw from that. So I, I didn't mean to like jump in there, but I think that's a, an important thing for people to understand. No, for sure. <laughs> that's okay, no problem. Um, yeah, and what I, and the point that I'm trying to make is related both not only to Buddhism, of course, but like all religious and spiritual faiths too, that you have to have this humility that you have come to, that you're a really great example of. You have to have that humility of this is my life. This is this other person's life. We are in this world together, but I'm living my life independently and you're living yours independently. Let's figure out how we can both live well. All right. The, the freedom of thought that comes from, and that, that was a, you know, that's still a constant iterative process for, for me to, to undertake, right? Like I, I still find myself sometimes in that comparison self, uh, um, speaking poorly about myself. I still, you know, there's, there's those aspects are still there. It took me a long time to develop the skill set to not allow that to perpetuate. Right. And the freedom that comes 
like the the psychological space that is opened up in my brain to deal with other things because we only have so much capacity to to deal with the shit of life right so if i'm if i'm not worrying about like the minutia i can worry about the bigger problems i can worry about the the more important aspects of life i can worry about spending more time with my kids and being fully present with them which is a super important thing to me um you know the when we allow ourselves to 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 just live in the this world of self-deprecation and self-hate um you know that's you're not living quote unquote your best life at that point so. yep well we're gonna stay on this for a second because um i'm currently reading marcus aurelius's meditations mm. finally oh my god mm. i don't know why it took me so long yes. to read this book <clears throat> but um I was just, and he, he repeats numerous times that nothing in the external world, like nothing tangible, no things can affect or touch your soul. All of your inner thoughts in your judgments, discernments, self-talk, emotions or emotional interpretations, whatever, that's what affects the condition of your soul. And true wellness and well-being and just fulfillment that's what really is what's nurturing and nourishes the soul you know so if we want to get really spiritual it's like the condition or state of your soul is kind of like indicative of your own you know mental health and the four tenets that you're talking about just like how healthy is the body how healthy is your nutrition how healthy is your mental state everything and so i completely so like when when i've read that it hit home because I'm brutally um, self-critical. Like that's my, that's my biggest bugaboo to work on for throughout all of my life, just how hard I am on myself and how much I beat myself up and self-compassion is the real goal. And so, like you said, getting out all of the minutia, freeing up that space, or at least just cleaning up the barragement on my soul <laughs> of the self-talk of the judgments or of the little grinding self-criticisms i can see how that would bring such massive mental space mental freedom and so have you you know a lot of a lot of people who are listening to this as well as a ton of my clients almost all of them suffer from that same aspect of self-criticism being really hard on themselves do you have an actual kind of mental cue that you practice now or some kind of practice or habit that you, you can no teach idea. and enlighten us please <laughs> absolutely so teach us um, ways. there's there's of all the experiences that we have in life there are things that we have control over and things we do not have control over right um and the things that we do have control over um, are our thoughts and our actions, right? Mm -hmm. The things that we don't have control over are what other people think of us, how other people react, how other people um, perform their daily lives. You know, those are all uncontrolled aspects. So when I'm experiencing a hardship, I tend to look inward and say, Okay, what aspects of this can I control? 
And the real thing that it comes down to is that I can only control my thoughts, my words, and my actions. And that's a very Marcus Aurelius kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Stoics are, you know, I, I think more people should read the Stoics um, just because they, man, they, they got it right, you know? <laughs> yeah. They, they worried about themselves, right? While still having compassion and empathy for other people um, and understanding you know, there's layers here, right? Understanding that also my thoughts, my actions, and my words can also have an impact on other people's experience, right? Yeah. And yeah. then, and then realizing that, you know, it's a, you got to check in with that. Understanding what reactions that might have on other people. And then it's a decision of, am I okay with this or am I not okay with this? And once again, it goes back to that internal cycle of, you know, what can I control here? Right. So, you know, that, that's, um, it's an iterative process that takes, uh, constant work, constant work. Um, and sometimes I'm really successful with it and sometimes I'm not. So and giving myself and so, grace for that as well. Yeah, I mean that's that's hard enough as it is just giving ourselves grace. And so what is your I mean you might have said this but what is the actual like mental exercise that you do? Just asking what are you in control of or is it Correct. just an awareness technique? It's it's asking what I'm actually in control of. Okay. Yep. And the one thing that we're out of all those aspects the one thing that we're mostly in control of is our thoughts and our reaction to things, right? Yeah, definitely. I love, I really appreciate that you talked that through and brought it up because I just made a podcast episode about that, just myself speaking a few weeks ago about how we can train ourselves sort of to like kind of have control over our emotions and how we might, you know, we, we can decondition and recondition how we feel about things, but really all day, every day, all that we have control over is our thoughts, actions, and reactions to those emotions. And what you said, what other people are doing, right? So that's what we have control over. And so I really appreciate that you gave an actual tangible example of what you do on a daily basis, because I've read books on self-compassion and there are so many different mindfulness tricks and things like that. But I know at the end of the day, it comes down to figuring out what works for you and having the humility, like you said, to remember that it's a constant iterative process. That you, it's, it can't just be done in your morning routine and think that you're good for the day. You, haven't, you, you can't just flip the switch on and it's good for the day and then it resets at night. That's not, that's not how that works. Yeah. So. Yep. yep. Totally. Um, I love it. So this sort of plays into a diff- another question that I had. So we might as well just stay on this for a minute. Um, because of the fact that you, when I met you, and then as I've had the privilege and honor of getting to know you more, the thing that so impressed on me about you was your confidence and the way you carry yourself. And you just come across as such an incredibly mature, confident, self-assured person. And Rick is working. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You must be an Oscar level actor then. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it may be related to what we're just talking about, but 
because of the fact that I know you on an intimate level too. I know things you struggled with. I know um, just the trajectory of your career and things. What would you say is an insecurity of yours that you struggle the most with? That you feel comfortable talking about? I'm an open book. I feel comfortable talking about anything. So there's nothing that's off the table for me. Um, you know, I, I think the there's layers to that as well, right? Because it, it ebbs and flows. Um, separation from the military for me. Um, Say that I one more really, time. You, you cut just a little bit. Yep. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I'll try and bring the mic closer. Okay. Um, separating from the military was a really hard experience for me because it, it was who I was. It, I identified as somebody who served in the military for such a long time. Mm. Um, and that was my mission, right? Um, previous to that, you know, I joined the military because um, I was kind of just floating. I didn't really have a goal. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with myself. I was like, I wasn't getting in trouble, but I was like, I was on a road to, to nowhere pretty fast. And it would be a lot of like wasted talent, I guess. And everybody has wasted talent, right? Like, mm. You know, it just depends on how, once again, you react to that stuff. Either way, um, so when I got out of the military, it was trying to find a new mission. Um, and a lot of people will talk mm. about that, um, you know, and, and the loss of the, the tribe of like-minded people who are in the military, who have gone through those experiences, who have gone through that indoctrination process, because it is an indoctrination process. Um, and, you know, all of a sudden, I'm back out in the civilian world. I had been in I got out of the military in December of 2008. I got back from Afghanistan in September of 2008. You know what I mean? Like, I oh, was, wow. it was a very quick reintroduction back to civilian life. My brain was still fighting a war. Um, wow. So, and Jeez. I was back, I was back in college starting in January. Um, <laughs> so it was just a, yeah, it was like, it was like drinking from a fire hose at first. Right. So, God. Um, finding a new mission was, was my top priority at that point. Um, and, and my whole goal was I was going to get out of the military because I had a very high op tempo when I was in the military. I needed a little bit of time to decompress a little bit and finish my education. And then I was planning on going right back in, going through BUDS, becoming a Navy SEAL and continuing on with my mission. Um, just cause that's what I, that's what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Um, then I met my wife and everything changed. So um, for the better, right? Um, meeting Emmy gave me a, a new appreciation for the new life that I was in, mm. um, a new sense of stability. Um, and, you know, that was something that was very important to me at the time. And it still mm. is, like, it's still very important to me. So, um, and even now, I mean, I think the thing that I struggle with most now is, um, it's very easy for somebody to pretend like they know everything. Um, but I'm, I'm in constant fear that 
like imposter syndrome, right? Like people are going to mm -hmm. find, find me out. Like, I don't have a background in health and wellness. My, my degrees in, I have an MBA. Um, everything that I go through, you know, I've taken a lot of courses. I've, I've coached a lot of people. Um, you know, I, I, I pertain or I, uh, I adhere to the, the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours approach of things. And I definitely have done my 10,000 hours of coaching. Um, so I do feel like I'm an expert when it comes to coaching. Um, but with the health and wellness stuff, it's like, I'm afraid that people are going to find out that like, oh, he doesn't actually know what he's talking about. Oh, he's a sham. Oh, this is all like a, a ploy to make money. And oh, it's like, you know, so it's, it's a, there is like a, a constant battle that I have with imposter syndrome. I mentioned the CrossFit Games last year, right? I was fortunate enough to, to perform well enough that I made it to the highest level of our sport. Um, I still think it was an accident, right? Yeah. So, you know, it, it's like, but I, once again, like every once in a while, it just comes down to having that pep talk with myself of like, no, you belong there. You're, you're there for a reason. Um, you know, you worked really hard. You spend a lot of time and money on education. You are constantly trying to learn, um, you know, and then you get messages like from this person and I'm like, you know, I'm, I really am making an impact on people. And that's, that's important to me. Mm -hmm. um, as it relates to confidence, I don't know. I think a lot of that comes from the military, my experience in the military, because there's a, there's a, there's a certain sense of bravado that you kind of have to have mm -hmm. uh, to, you know, I volunteered to go to Afghanistan. I volunteered to go to Iraq. I didn't have to go to either one of those places, but I wanted to, it's like my trial by fire, right? I wanted to do something really hard um, that could turn out potentially very poorly. To have that experience, um, to somewhat make other things in life easier, if that makes sense. That answered my next question. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I, I, I like doing things the hard way. <laughs> yeah. 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 You like challenging yourself also. Yeah. I, I mean, yes. I like doing things the hard way because I feel like if I do, if I do hard shit, um, other things, things are just easy yeah right yeah which correlates both to something i think it was joe rogan said as well as i think it's a motto in the navy seals too the navy seal quote is like the only easy day was yesterday yeah um so it's that constant mindset of just continuing to challenge yourself harder than you did yesterday um and then i think it was i think it was joe rogan who was talking about um intentional suffering as in like intentionally pushing yourself harder than you did the day before, whether it's in a workout or a hike or a run or whatever, so that everything you do the rest of the day seems a whole lot easier. You've already made yourself suffer so much. So, so physically, spiritually, emotionally, whatever, that the rest of the day seems easier. Yeah. I just read a book. Well, I listened to a book um, called the comfort crisis and it mm. specifically, specifically talks about doing hard things um you know they i think 
that these guys like they went on a hunting trip in Alaska for like four or six weeks or something like that with like only the the stuff on their backs and like that was a very intentional thing for them to do um Mm -hmm. and I think seeking out those challenges both physically and intellectually um and putting yourself out of your regular comfort zone um you know coach Glassman from CrossFit love him or hate him uh he's got some good nuggets that that he's put out and one of them is is um you know we fail at the margins of our experience Mm. and that's not to say that failing Mm. is a bad thing um what that's saying is is that in order for us to keep progressing in whatever we're trying to progress in you have to you have to butt up against those those margins right absolutely Um, in order to to push those margins out so that when hard shit comes up, it's easier to deal with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I literally just recorded a webinar last night where I talked about how when you push out of your comfort zone, yes, you feel like you're in a new land, like you're in no man's land, but not only do you like to learn what like the limits of your fear are and your fears, but you also get to realize what new skills and abilities are needed immediately <laughs> in that right. new land yes. right so all of a sudden new skills just like show themselves or you have to adapt right and what's cool about that is that not only is the realm in which you're operating new but you have new skills so no matter which realm you're in you have new skills and things are going to be easier because you've just acquired new abilities yep and then you can take those new abilities and also apply them to experiences that you already have and try and broaden those experiences. It's it's a it's an iterative exactly. process. Yeah. <laughs> but like when you break it down like that, it's such a like the human condition is such a cool freaking thing, man. And like <laughs> like you can't you can't take you can't take any experience for granted. No. Can't. No, you really can't. And going back to Stoicism and Buddhism to an extent, I mean, both Marcus Aurelius and Alan Watts have like quotes about how all that's knowable and controllable is the present. And so our human condition is like all just all the infinite possibilities of the universe are happening right now or are available right now, I should say. And Alan Watts. Yeah, right, right now. Now, right, right now. now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Alan Watts said that, said that too, of just like, it's not about a second ago because now that's the past. And like, it's, it all starts now. And that's what we can focus our attention on. And not to say we should neglect our past or not identify with it completely, but <clears throat> there's so much to be realized in the present which is what we're talking about. The, hu- the iterative process of the human condition means that this moment can constantly be different and new and better and healthier and happier. Yeah. I know. I notice this a lot with my boys. Um, you know, I have two young kids and Orion is just like this, like super smart spitfire of a kid. He's got so much intelligence he's got so much love to give he's just like a fantastic i mean you you met him right you met him mm-hmm. as a baby but he still had personality um, then he, yeah and like you know but like 
for me as his dad, it's like, you know, this morning, I'll never have another morning like this morning was. Mm. And I'll never have another morning like tomorrow morning was. And I'll never have another morning like like two days ago was. Um, and like being present for those moments and and like, you know, I'm not always fully present because I don't think you can be necessarily, but like sure. recognizing that and then stepping back from whatever I'm doing and really taking that moment in has been an awesome experience for me. Um, I, uh, I took myself off social media for the month of February and whew, man, was that like a cleansing process, <laughs> right? Um, Cause I felt like I was more available to my kids at that point. And I was more available to my wife and I was more available to my clients and I was more available to other people. Um, you know, being able to connect with people again is, uh, in a non-digital world is, is something that I think we need to work on as a, as a race. So. Absolutely. And that could be, that'll be the topic for part two episode, (laughs) but that's so true. So true. And, you know, interestingly, so the next question that I had for you and this, I like that I'm going to explain the segue in a second was what you brought up about the eminent possibility of death earlier because what's interesting what i just connected to when you were talking about the um the reveling of the moments with your children of just knowing oh my gosh this is i'm only going to have this one moment once with your son you know now that my mom yesterday was my mom's two-year death anniversary and so because of the fact that i don't have kids um I think about moments with my mom and remember those moments as those moments like you are having with your kids. So it's very much like this life and death thing. Like those are the categories, but we're really thinking the same thing of like, those are moments of presence that act as examples for me for how to be present in a moment, especially now with my fiance. Like I had a moment like you just described with your, with your son, this morning, I had a moment this past week with my fiance that was like a fully encapsulated, like, wow, we're sitting here. This is a present moment. And I could like truly cherish it, even though we weren't doing anything. We're just sitting there. But for some reason, it was like that moment where I was like, wow, the beauty of this moment is only happening right now. I have, I have two moments like that with you. Oh, stop it. No, I do. The, the dinner that we had out in Salt Lake City, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I very distinctly, I remember what I had there. That was a, I remember what we talked about, you know? Um, and then there was a moment when we were both in Boston that you and I just went out and got coffee yep. at, at the Starbucks down the street. And that was like a, I think for me, for, for our relationship, that's something that solidified our relationship for me was that one moment in time. But it's some, it's a moment that I cherish, right? And it's a moment like, and having those moments, I think, well, we can get we can get down the road of like technology and like the issues that that causes. We can go on a metabolic standpoint on that one as well. Yeah. Um, but I think we're a lot of us are kind of like missing each other, even though we're very present with each other. Mm-hmm. And it's like 
we're missing the opportunity to live a very full life because of those missed opportunities, right? Because we've got our head in the phone or we're working on something or, you know, we're, we just don't get together and just like talk anymore, right? Yeah. We don't get together and just like, and like be in the presence of other people anymore. Right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that's hard, ironically challenging about living in New York City is that there are millions of people around me, but you're down, it's very hard to actually meet people. <laughs> yeah, you're very you alone. Know? Yeah, it's really surrounded, weird. Surrounded by millions, but totally alone. So. Yeah, but I, I mean, firstly, that just means so much to me that those two experiences that we had together meant so much to you. And I yeah. think very often about our, when we went out for coffee too. And the funny thing, the reason why I'm chuckling about that is because I, I remember initiating that. I remember inviting you to go, go get coffee or just go talk somewhere else. And my excuse was because you had just mentioned that you were like starting businesses and like you were in the business world and I had already started my business. And I was so in awe of you just as a person. I just thought you were such a cool person, such a cool person to be around that I could learn so much from that I was like, secretly, I was like, I just want to get to know this dude. Like, I want to be friends with him. But I remember inviting you to coffee under the guise of asking you about business <laughs> and your career, thinking like, I don't know if this guy's like, if, if this guy could make time for me or time to be my friend or something, or if we just need to talk about business for it to be worth it for him. But I remember you were so kind and so generous with your time. And we sat and we talked not only about business, but we talked about life and your career yeah. and family and everything. Yeah. That absolutely stands out to me too. Yeah. That was a good, that was a good coffee date. <laughs> yes. Very good conversation yeah. as is always the case with you. Um, <laughs> You know, so, which, you know, further motivates me to ask this deeper question, just because I'm, I'm really curious about your insight on it. What you said earlier about being, um, excuse me, I'm going to cough. Um, what you said earlier about how in the military, you were constantly facing this mentality of, oh gosh, I could die any second. And at a certain point, you just kind of had to settle with that or just kind of like, uh, adjust or get used to that firstly so this is a two-part question so once you actually adjusted to that in the military was that any kind of like motivator like did that help you be really present in the moment and like get the most out of the experience or was that like a situation like you know for lack of better words in clinical terms learned helplessness where you're just like well this is it I'm just going to keep doing what I have to do and then the second part to that question before you answer that is, has that mindset about death and that we could die anytime impacted you or affected you or continue to motivate you in any kind of conscious way throughout the rest of your career since then? Um, yes, in two different aspects. Um, I, think, I think my, specifically my experience in Afghanistan, because it was a little bit more in depth than my experience in Iraq. Um, I think that's when I started really focusing in on stoicism. Um, mm. and you know, there's a, there's an old saying, uh, memento mori, 
And it's, it's like, yeah. you know, it's once again, it's one of those cliche things, but it's like the thought process of remember that you're going to die. Right. Um, none of us escape that not a single person in the history of ever has ever escaped death. Um, and th there's two, two aspects you can use with that. There's two, two ways you can go with that. One that learned helplessness. You can be like, well, it is, is what it is. And I hate that statement to no end. Um, you know, it, it is what it is and, and what will be, will be. And, yada 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 because that means you have no control right you've relinquished control of those things that we talked about earlier and the other the other side of that coin is um you can look at it as an opportunity right which is how i prefer to look at it as um you know as i mentioned to you before the the two things that are most important to me at this point specifically since becoming a father the first time and then even more so becoming a father the second time is um, leaving a legacy and an impact for not just my boys, but for, for myself, right? And that's the selfish aspect of that. Um, I don't want people to talk about how much money I made or, you know, any of those other aspects when they're standing over my, you know, my coffin and I'm laying there you know, whatever. Um, I, I won't be in a coffin. I want to get cremated, but either way, um, I don't want them to talk about that stuff. I want them to talk about how I made them feel or what impact I had on their life. Um, and that's a, that's a huge motivator for me. Um, now it's like our time on this earth is so finite, like so finite. And with the speed of of life these days, uh, how fast information is coming at us, how fast things are happening around us. Um, you know, it just accelerates that timeline a little bit. Yeah, we're living longer than our grandparents did potentially. Um, but the information and the, the, the life aspect of that is coming at us at an exponentially faster rate, not, not just one X or two X, I'm talking like like 300x. I can I can go to this thing and pull up whatever I want, any any information that I want um, about anything in the in the world, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then I have to go through the process of is this factual or not factual because the internet's a dangerous place. But um, you know, I, I think if you look at it from that memento mori standpoint of remembering that you're going to die. Um, I think, I think you can have a, a greater impact of what your legacy is going to be. Right. Um, the other, the other saying is, is, uh, Amor Fati, which is, um, love your fate. Oh yeah. I just yeah. heard that for the first time just recently. Yeah. And, and, Loving your fate is another thing that you can, uh, that's a little bit more of a, of a positive turn. Um, there was a, uh, a veteran, a Marine veteran that I know, uh, he's, uh, he's passed away since, um, but he had his leg blown up in Afghanistan. Um, and he had a Morafati tattooed to his knuckles 
Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he truly lived that, he truly lived that aspect. Um, you know, your, your fate, it sounds like something you might not have control over. Um, but once again, you have control over your, your thoughts, your actions and your reactions to things. And if you look at everything as an aspect of it's you win or you learn, um, I think it's a lot easier to love your fate that way. So well said. Nice. Thank you. And, you know, this, this ties really nicely into the last question that I like to ask people. And I know you've already put some thought into it. So for those of you who have not listened to my podcast before, what I normally do as the last question is I explain, or I have this one question and it is a con the context of it is that my godfather, uh, was a really acclaimed pediatrician and he would be, he would teach a lot of, uh, incoming medical students on a lot of things related to like proper medical practice and all this. And he would hold events and like invite other doctors in at his house, bring a bunch of med students in, have these little events. And there was one time where all the med students were asking all sorts of nitty gritty logistical, like best practice. Is this right? Is this wrong? Like kind of questions. And whoever was speaking just stopped them and said, find the definition of your, of a good life. Like find your definition of a good life. And whatever you think your definition of a good life is, make your decisions based on that. Because it'll come from a much more authentic place of empathy and love and care instead of what you read in a textbook, right? And so I always ask that, I know I preambled it to you before we got on and you brought up having a positive impact and legacy. And you've mentioned it several times throughout this this episode. And so the one really specific question I have in relation to this is for you personally, because you've already explained generally why impact and legacy are important, why what's motivated you throughout your, your lifetime to even care about having an effect on other people. And so why, why do you think legacy and impact is like the thing to aim for? Why does it matter as like the ultimate goal in your mind? Well, I think, um, so all these aspects, I, I think my life, I've, I've lived my life and, and um, done things in what's called servant leadership um, in that I am here to serve others. That is in my DNA. Um, mm. I will, I will, I could have zero dollars and I know that I will find a way to serve other people in some aspect, because once again, that's my selfishness because it makes me feel good. Right. <laughs> um, I would say that the reason why legacy is so important to me now is my boys. I want to provide a good example for them because that is how you improve the world. Right. And like, we're in a pretty interesting time in history right now. Right. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to say that it's worse than any other time in history because I don't know that for a fact. Um, but I would say it's a very challenging time, at least in my lifetime. 
um, all the things that are going on in the world from, you know, the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan to the coronavirus to, you know, what's going on currently in, in Ukraine with Russia. And, you know, they've got their, their finger on the nuclear trigger again. And that's a scary aspect, though I don't think that they don't want that smoke, trust me. Um, but the, the legacy that I want to leave for my boys is a legacy of that servant leadership and love. Um, I, and like, I see it in Orion and it's such an amazing thing to see it in such a young kid. He just loves everybody relentlessly, right? He just, he just is like, and I think that might be the innocence of children, but like everything he does is out of love. Um, and I think if we, as a human race, look at children as the example, I think we'll get along a lot better. Um, but my legacy and impact that will be long lasting isn't going to be, um, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to engineer something that's going to cure cancer. I'm not going to do any of that stuff. Um, but what I can leave is an example of how to serve others without expecting anything in return. Um, and I think, I think that's such an important aspect that this world is missing right now because everybody wants something in return for that. Um, when not understanding that the return is the act. So, yeah. 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 I love that. Have you read The War of Art uh, by Stephen Pressfield? Mm-hmm. All right. I bring it up <laughs> multiple times per month. Like it's just such a, such a powerful book, but he said that you're only entitled to the labor and that's where the reward has to come because you're not actually entitled to this external thing that's given to you as a reward because that can be taken away. That's, that can be it can, someone can choose to not pay you for your services, right? So sure. you're only entitled to the labor. And that's the service that, and that's the impact that we can leave. I love it. That was awesome. Really appreciated that explanation. I think that was really impactful for me. And I think that it's really impactful in a very like clear, concise human way of setting an example for some reason like i haven't heard about legacy as setting an example or just put in those plain terms but like that's really what it is it's like teaching a way that we not only can be healed as a people and helped as a people but then what that can do for communities for countries for the entire world all of the problems that we could list off (laughs) yeah i mean look at look at some of the Look at some of the, the most successful people in the history of ever, right? At least at least modern history, right? Let's talk about people like, you know, p- politics aside, because I don't think they have any place in this conversation, but like people like Elon Musk, people like Bill Gates, people like um, Richard Branson, people like, uh, you know, I just finished listening to Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, the mm. founder of Nike, like all of those people, all of those people started their businesses, not with a focus on 
money and making money, but instead on providing something that would leave their legacy. And then when they became successful in whatever they did, you know, Phil Knight, for example, has this, this bad thought that he, you know, is using child labor in China, right? That was like a, a bad publicity thing that happened in like the early 90s, early or late 90s, early 2000s. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, child labor is legal in China. You know what he did instead that, that people didn't talk about is he improved the conditions for those kids and for those employees that are working over there. And like, it's so easy just to look at the negative aspect of what he did. It's so easy to look at, you know, Elon Musk and, and think that he's like this evil person. The dude just sent one of his satellites over top of Ukraine so they have access to Wi-Fi. I know. Like, are you kidding? So they can actually like communicate with the world because Russia's shut them out like are you kidding me <laughs> like and you're gonna say this guy is an evil genius come on man like so you know i i invite people to to look deeper into the impact that people are leaving and not just look at their money and be jealous right yeah. look at look at the things that they're doing to improve the lives of others yeah which is a really nice bow to tie on this episode because that connects, it's focusing more on the impact and legacy versus the comparison and criticism and self-judgment piece. 100%, yep, okay. yeah. Well done. <laughs> you too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, Eamon, thank you so, so, so much for being here. As I say with all of my guests, I really would love to do a part two at some point because there's so much more we can talk about. Uh, thank you for being so generous with your time and coming on today. I love seeing your face, man. So <laughs> love seeing your face too. Yeah. You, you live 40 minutes away from me. I haven't seen your face in like three years. So I know. Well, that's <laughs> what happens when you become a you know double father. <laughs> oh man. Feel free to come and take the children whenever you want. <laughs> thank you. You also are like starting businesses every few months. So yeah. it's not like you're just sitting around, sitting around at home waiting for me to come hang out. We are always welcome here. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> all right. Well, I will put all links and everything to everything that you're doing with Collective Health and Wellness in the show notes. Um, if anybody who's listening to this would like to get in touch with Eamon uh, to talk about anything of the four, four pillars or anything that we talked about today, because he's just so kind and so generous and so smart and thoughtful and humble and intelligent and awesome. So uh, keep going, please. Keep going, keep going. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's just off the cuff. I didn't even, I didn't even prepare those compliments. Um, but if you are interested in getting in touch with Eamon, I'll put everything in the show notes. And again, Eamon, thank you so much. It's so good to see you. You too, buddy.
Hey everyone, Taylor here. Thank you so much again for clicking and listening along today. As a reminder, if anything from this episode resonated deeply with you or relates to any stress or pain you might be experiencing, head to my website, the link is in the show notes, and contact me for a free full-length coaching session. Not only will we gain an enormous amount of clarity on what you're experiencing or what you're hoping to experience, but also we'll give you a strategy, like a first step, first little step that you can take that's going to make a huge difference to relieve your stress and your overwhelm and your confusion. So if you're interested in that and what we talked about in these episodes resonates with you, please go ahead and contact me to schedule your free session. In the meantime, take care, be kind to yourself, and I'll talk to you soon.